speak about purity today, you know, uh, as, as a virtue in our virtue series. Hey, <clears throat> I was watching a film, I think it was about two weeks ago, and it was about this couple, they're flying in a plane, and the, the plane goes down at the top of a mountain, uh, the pilot has a kind of heart attack, and the, the plane goes down at the top of the mountain, and after about five minutes, Kathy knew what was going to happen, she just knew that they were going to fall in love and all that, and I was thinking, oh no, it's going to be a great adventure film of how they, you know, they had to fight off a cougar, and uh, you know, a bear and wolves surrounding them, they did all of that, but the inevitable happens, that as they're doing, going through all these adventures together, they start falling in love. And they start having these very passionate feelings for each other. In fact, you know, we, all, we as Christians, we, we want to be loved in that way. We, we, we want to have passion, but we're just worried in case sometimes it steps over the line or something. So the end of the film is that uh, the couple meet up and, and she has given up her intended person she was going to marry because this adventure has changed her mind so much that she's given up her intended and, and they meet up having not seen each other for a couple of months because of circumstances and they come back and, and they decide, oh, I don't know whether this is going to work. And the last scene is this. They, they get up and one's walking down the street that way another's walking down the street this way and they both stop, turn around, look at each other and go, no, we just need to be together. And they run. And the film ends with them embracing each other in their arms. It's great, isn't it? I enjoyed it. Kathy said, oh, give me a break. But we as Christians, you see, this is our dilemma in talking about purity. We don't want to be so scared that we don't want to have powerful feelings that way or feel anything and, you know, be so wrapped up like, you know, we don't want to feel anything. And yet, at the same time, we don't want to step beyond what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, our whole series on virtue is not designed just to keep you good or to keep your passionate feelings in check. What we're trying to teach is how we walk in God and inherit our huge destiny in Him. Do you know at the end of time, it says that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. In fact, we are to reign with Christ now in this life. And how we can worship Him properly by operating to our best design. That's the heart behind our virtue series. We're going to be a kingdom of priests. We are those people who rule and reign and true worshippers. That's where our virtue gets us to. You need to see the big picture on that. So let's see that big picture rather than, oh no, I don't want to feel anything in case I step out of line. I want to feel everything I'm supposed to feel in this life, don't you? Amen? But I want to walk in the ways that God has planned for me. Amen? You know, there are some, as well as our Christian dilemma, there are also some competing cultural issues that we face today when we talk about purity. It's almost like we have to juggle these three ideas. 
there's a massive rethink going on now onto what our identity is made up of. Some want to define their identity only in terms of their sexuality. And yet scripturally and wisdom-wise, identity is made up of so much more than that. Your giftedness, your purpose, your destiny. In fact, the Bible says, more importantly, that our identity is really how we reflect the image of God, that creation of God, of how he's made us. The ability to love, the ability to worship, the ability to reason, the, willi- the ability to be in relationship, the ability to have stewardship, the ability to discern, the ability to govern. That image that God has made us in, and as we reflect that, that more shows our identity than just an expression of sexual orientation. Culturally, identity is massive today. The second thing is, is that culturally, today in Britain, the thought of somebody owning us is is something that, that we rebel against. And of course, in a extreme manner, of course that's right. But as Christians, we, we don't really believe that we're supposed to be free of everybody. In fact, we've come to learn that our deep freedom really is wrapped up with who we're in relationship with. That, that we can't say, well, I don't listen to anybody. I, I'm just a complete free agent under no kind of ties on me or relationship links on me. For a long time, we've realized that that promise of absolute freedom is an illusion. It's who we're in deep relationship. In fact, when we are willing to be, can I say, owned by a loving, caring, benevolent Father God who, who loves us so much that He's planned so many great things for us that we are more free than people who say, I've got no ownership, that actually... Our life has such clear boundaries that we're more free anyway living under that. And our expression of purity is also about our relationship with the God who's got an ownership to our lives. In fact, the Bible says he anointed us, he set a seal of ownership on us, and he's put his spirit in our hearts. But not as a, hey, I own you thing. As a deposit guaranteeing of all the rulership and reignership that we'll have in the future. So today when we talk about belonging to God, we're not giving up a freedom. We're actually receiving a person who can move us to more freedom. Our ownership is linked to what we're going to become, not just denying our freedom. The third cultural thing that's a really strong thing in Britain today, is the idea of equality. That we, a massive idea in modern thinking is this huge commitment to equality and everybody is equal. Every choice, every stance of a person is to be treated equally. Now, of course, as church, we have been the vanguard, we've been the pioneers, uh, and we still lead the fight against equality, against repression and people being in slavery. And we support the fact that 
some that people, all people, do not need to be pressed down. But when we take the idea of equality and make it so that nobody can be different, so that no boundaries are given, so that we deny the nature of human existence, we today people have to understand that an apple is an apple. It is not an orange. But today, what we've done is we want to grant the right of, of an apple to be an orange. The apple says, well, I'm valued, and if I want to be an orange, I can be an orange, and you have to respect my wishes to be an orange, says the apple. But things are different. We just recognize differences. In Genesis 1, God created man and woman. God created land and sea. God created light and dark. And it's even clear in popcorn, salty and sweet. <laughs> now I know that the salt rubs off on the sweet and the sweet rubs off on the salt. At least in my marriage, that's the case. But being structured and having coherence is irresistible beauty to life. Men and women, as other things, are not as fluid as our media and our culture now wants us to accept. When we talk of purity, it's not that we don't appreciate equality, it's just that we see that the expression of humanness as having differences. Of and that those differences are healthy and life-giving to all. Purity is not about repression and discrimination and putting certain people down. To some, it's about how more life can flow through us in our whole purpose, in our whole journey. Understand that purity isn't against equality. It's just that we recognize some differences in the way that we're made. Now having said all this, I want you to understand some things about sexual orientation. And for you it might be true that you're identifying with a particular orientation. And can I just say, out of respect for some people who are in the room who may be uh, identifying as a, as a different orientation. Let's have a no amen zone for a while. Let's just, just listen along. I just want to say three things and then I'm going to ask you to say amen after that. Is that okay? I just want to respect people in the room. First of all, I can't say everything about this, but your sexual orientation, although it's important, that's not your only identifier to your identity. Don't Identify yourself only in terms of your sexual orientation. You have much more about you than that. And God's image is a huge identifier to your orientation too. Secondly, it's a false notion that you have to act out of your sexual orientation without any restraint. As if you can't help it. That's a false notion. We can make choices of how we express any sexual orientation. Thirdly, your orientation 
might have some lack of choice, so there may be elements in it, although that's not so much as a given as, as said in the media. But even if it does, all things in an orientation can be fed so that they become stronger and, and more unmanageable. Or things can be managed and baptised in God's grace in such a way so that it can go along safe lines of expression. Your orientation, although it's important, isn't your only identifier for identity. Your orientation doesn't mean that you have no restraint. And your orientation is either fed or starved. And can go along safe lines if you want it to. These things said, what does the Bible mean when it speaks about us being pure? Let's go back into the amen zone. God wants us to be pure in his sight because he wants to connect to others. Amen? Everybody in the house, turn to Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read from verse 14. Just a little passage. Now, the background to this passage is, is that the Pharisees were saying, your disciples don't wash their hands. They don't obey good religious traditions. And Jesus, then the culmination of this accusation, he, in, from verse 14, Mark chapter 7, he says, And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. Let him who has ears, let him hear. After he left uh, the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. And he said, oh, you're so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared all, th all foods clean. And he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from the inside of a person. Jesus, the Bible teaches that purity means obeying from the inside. Or the deep motivations of your heart, what you know is right and the clean thing to do. Purity is cleanliness inside out. From, it's from a Greek word, mean, hygiene, which, which means unspotted, flawless. It's like seeing a, a diamond that's flawless. You can see right into it. It's translucent. The motives are not twisted and clear. And this is what Jesus meant, that... Outer behavior is driven from inner motivation. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's not about what clothes you wear. It's about what your heart says, how to express yourself. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And what it means here is... Make my heart not be divided away from you. 
that your heart beats in a certain way and it dictates the way that my motivations are. In fact, in the New American Standard Bible and in different translations, it actually says, teach me your way, Lord, so that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Basically, what the, what the Bible is teaching here is that purity is our hearts united with God. And so it's not wrong to sing, let my heart beat with your heart, Lord. Let me be motivated by the things that motivate you. It's in this singleness of heart with God. And as we are motivated that way, that purity comes. So here's a prayer for you to begin to say, God, let me be motivated. Fill my heart with the things that fill your heart. And then you're going to start becoming pure. Proverbs says that the heart is tested like a, like a crucible. Like gold is tested. Like silver is tested. But Jesus then puts the cap on it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. In that famous uh, section called the Beatitudes. It says this. Blessed are the pure in heart. But they will see God. It's the connector of how much revelation you have to God. It's a spiritual eye opener. In fact, Jesus uses a word for purity here called katharos, which is where Kathleen comes from, my wife's name. It means pure, or pure one. But it's a particular take on it. It means purity that's been refined or tested. A bit like a vine is pruned so that it can become more fruitful. Or gold is refined so that it can become more precious. Jesus says, blessed are the refined, pure ones. The ones who've been tested and come out with the right motives. They will see God. See, purity is this cleanliness of heart and a motivation that drives us so that then we express our behaviour from our purity of heart. It's got to be driven from the inside. But you might be saying, well, how does it come? How, how can I develop that? In fact, as with all virtues, but in particular purity, it's developed over time. And I want to say with smaller practices that, that become embedded into our lives, fueled by the grace of God. Here's, here's, I guess this is kind of my main point. How, how am I going to get virtue in my life? First of all, number one, see the big picture where God is taking you. Don't just reduce our teaching on virtue that the pastor's telling us how to be good. No, we're trying to teach about what you're going to be in Christ and in God, ruling and reigning and and winning the world and transforming lives and, and being the person in purpose that God wants you to be. So when we teach you about virtues, we're saying step into the destiny that Christ has for you. See the big picture. But secondly, virtues come, and particularly purity, come through those small habits that at first you don't think are important. Those small refusals to join in with something. But first you think, oh, I feel like such a geek for not getting involved in that. But I don't really think that's what God wants me to do. So you feel the, the kind of rub of it. But when you get used to saying, no, I'm not doing that. And I am doing this. Then what happens is, is that God begins to shape your heart through those, those little habits. 
how many of you here have learned how to drive? You know, you, you've, you've driven, haven't you? And when you first jumped in the car, this is how you, this is how you were. You held onto the wheel. I'm gonna die! And I'm gonna kill everybody in my way. And you gripped onto the wheel and your shoulders were, were tense and everything. Because you hadn't learned the habit of driving. Some of you drove here today. You didn't even think about how you drove. In fact, you weren't thinking. You were thinking of something else while you were driving here. You were on automatic pilot. Come on, admit it. Just come on, admit it. That's how it works. Some things that start off so foreign to us, that feel hard, if we repeat them, a repeated no, a repeated yes, a repeated I'm going to try that, it began, begins to become natural. Let me, you know, there's something about your brain that your brain operates in traces or grooves or wiring. And, and what studies are showing now is that you can actually change the pattern of your brain by, even though it feels hard to embed into your life a different habit, you can change the electronic wiring in your brain. It's an amazing thing. It's, it becomes different if you'll do that. Do you ever remember that film? I mean, it was a real event, by the way. I don't want you to think my life is all about films. There was a, there was a pilot called Sully. Uh, Sullerberger, I think his full name was. Captain Sullerberger, Sully. He landed a plane on the Hudson River. Do you remember, do you remember that story? Does anybody remember that? It, it's kind of like an amazing thing that a flock of geese hit the engines as they were taking off and they were too far from LaGuardia Airport. There was a, there was a road and he saw the river. And, and it was like a miracle landing. It was kind of like, how did he do that? But you know, since then when they analysed that, he, I mean, he did the amazing things. He even turned the plane round so that he landed it so it was flowing with the river so it could stay afloat. He did 45 separate little actions to make that miracle landing that he'd been trained about over years. It wasn't just a miracle. It was his training that kicked in. And here's the deal. If you will say to yourself, even in the small things, no, I'm just going to build on that. It's not a big thing, but I'm just going to build on that. I'm going to build that. When it counts, when you're in a real situation, all of that's going to kick in and change you. It will save you. Little habits over time. The big picture. God, you're taking me there. Little habits. Third thing. God brings us strengthening grace. There's a beautiful verse in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 17. And we often read it too quickly, but it says this. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned, that one man, uh, through, through that one man, how the much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Let me just pause here. How many here have received God's abundant provision of grace that saved you? Is there anybody? Let me see your hand. Wave at me from all over this place. If you know that you've received the abundant grace of God. Well, listen what it says. How the much more will those who've received God's abundant provision of grace 
and the gift of his righteousness reign in life through that one man, Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What God does is he says, look, I'm not going to leave you to just have the eyes on the prize. I'm not going to leave you just to make good little habits. I'm going to embed your life with my strengthening grace so that I will give you the strength to you to make good choices. I will give you the strength for you to say no to ungodliness and yes to life. I will give you the strength to do it. You know, grace for me is a little bit like a choir master. You know, I I read of a, it wasn't this church by the way, I read of a a church where they had a choir and it it was kind of enthusiasm but out of tune. And every time they stood up and they tried all these great songs, you know, and you know, they tried to do Handel's Messiah and it was just like, get a handle on that Messiah. You know, it's just awful. But a new choir master came to the town and he just kind of sat and listened and then they, they said, oh, if you're a choir master, help us to improve on the great thing that we already are. And he went, mm, okay. And then he, he sat with them and he started to teach them how to breathe. He started to teach them, hey, don't choose that song. This song might, might be better than you, for, for you. And then he started to teach them about, you know, hey, if you just came in at that time and he kind of gave shape to them, that's exactly what Christ does. It just shapes you. It just teaches you. It, it tells you, no, don't overstretch there. Come back from that. It's like a choir master. And eventually it became a, a pretty decent church choir. He pointed out their mistakes and said, Ooh, you think that sounds good, but that don't sound good. That's what grace does. You see, the bottom line is this. Let's keep our motivations of our heart well. And this can be strengthened by practices that might not come natural at first. But as you see the blessing on them and, and then you're strengthening God by receiving more of his word and being open more to his grace, then they become second nature to you. And when the crisis hits, you will do the right thing. Don't wait for the crisis to say, what do I do now, Lord? Start practicing what you know is good now. Start refusing what you know is spoiling you now. Maybe we could give that to the Lord on an altar. You know, I'm going to wrap up in a few minutes, but I wanted to share a few practical things about purity. You see, I want you to think about how you practice from your heart. The Bible doesn't really recognize our dating culture today, our, our relational culture. The Bible tells you what to do in marriage strongly. The Bible tells you how to be a good neighbor strongly. The Bible talks about family strongly. The Bible doesn't tell you how to be a good boyfriend and girlfriend particularly, but it does say some strong things about purity in our motives with each other and between each other as church. Everybody, if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And it says this. Treat younger men as brothers. I want to just pause here because in the culture of the day, it was, there was an age thing where older people should be respected. And we, and we kind of buy into that a, a 
bit less today, but in the New Testament times, that was a strong thing. That the younger men were not seen as valuable. But here Paul counteracts that and says, no, you've got to have a dignity towards younger men. And then he says, treat older women as mothers. Because women were, were seen, you could have a young child in a family, and the, and the older mother was, you know, the, he was a young man, and he would treat the woman with disrespect. And Paul, counterculturally, said, no, you've got to treat older women as respect. And you know what I want to say to you, older women in the house, thank you for being mothers in Zion. Thank you for being mothers around here. Thank you for being great examples here in our, in our church. We just really love that. But, but look at this. Then he says, and younger women as sisters. Now, if he was just making a point, he would leave it there. But I want you to see, look what he does. He adds an extra bit so that you, he knows to teach you how to treat younger women as a sister, as he means it in the body of Christ. Treat younger women as sisters, but look at this, with absolute purity. That word absolute is really strong, isn't it? That's not like, oh, treat the women okay. That's meaning to say, this is a precious cargo you've got on board this train. Really treat this well. Don't break this. Don't offend this. Treat it with absolute purity. That's the strength of it. So it's really important that we pick up on that little thing. And so I can't say everything. And like I can't say everything about sexual orientation in one message. But I want to just give you some helps as far as treating people, both men and women, in purity. First of all, number one, don't hug, speak or joke inappropriately with the opposite sex that make them feel vulnerable and uneasy. That they feel, man, you put me on the back foot here. I don't know what to do with that. Don't do that. Treat people with absolute purity. Secondly, don't become emotionally entangled with another person whereby you would be embarrassed to talk about what you've been talking about to that person with a loved one or a close friend. So watch your levels of personal sharing at work or your time spent with someone. If that's someone, there's no way that they're ever going to be your wife or your husband. Be really careful about that. If you look at 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, I used to, when I was a young preacher, I used to love this verse because it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I used to say, yeah, amen. But set an example for believers. But look what it says. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And then in, in purity. In hagnion. In the purity of, of heart. You've got to set an example. So thirdly, I want to say, treat everyone with dignity. Give everyone the dignity that they deserve. It's a life principle that everyone is valuable. Fourthly, if you feel anything that is not the right boundary and, and an attraction to another that is not appropriate, back off. If that's going west, you go east. 
You see, in the scripture, Paul said this. He said, if anyone's worried that they might be acting uh, dishonorably towards a virgin, or not acting honorably to a virgin that he's engaged to, if his passions are too strong, then he goes on to say, you should get married as quickly as possible or finish it. There's, you know, there's kind of, you have to understand, you've got to say, if you're feeling stuff to people, you know, if you're feeling something towards a married woman at work and you know that she's married, back off. If that's going west, you go east. See people, however, as not just, and this is my fifth thing, don't just see people as a potential wife or as a potential husband, see them as a person. In Christian culture, I have lots of people come to me, oh, pastor, I'm looking for a wife. And I think, oh, bully for you. You know, why, why don't you look for a person who you can be interested in and love and cherish as a person, and then she may become your wife. She's not a commodity to fulfill your need to get married. Some people are in love with marriage instead of in love with people. We were called to love people. Can I hear an amen, church? See, people, there's people. She's not your wife, Father, or your husband, Father. Let me make it even. Now, just let me just say it out loud. Sixthly, the sexual boundary outside of marriage is abstinence. And let's be clear about that. And, and can I just say to you that foreplay is designed to have a result in mind and a finish. So don't start it. Because it's designed not to finish until it's finished. So don't engage in it. So you need to be really careful. In fact, the scripture says in Proverbs 5, Why embrace the bosom of a wayward person, man or woman? For the ways are your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths and the evil deeds of wicked. Ensnare them and the cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die and be led astray by their own great folly. Can I say it even more clearly? Be careful what flames you fan, or you could burn more than your fingers, but your future. Or at least get your heart messed up. What are you feeding your heart on? What do you need to starve your heart on for your own good? Remember that you don't feed your heart through your mouth. You feed your heart through your eyes. So it's really careful, you need to be really careful what you look at. Because the, the eye is the lamp of the body. Seventhly, always ask yourself, what is the promise in this relationship? And you may not know that at first, but each relationship should have a promise. So if you're dating somebody and you say, yeah, let's date for 20 years, let me string you along because you look good on my arm, that's not making any sort of promise. Don't string people along. What's the promise and the commitment in your relationships? Because then that will help you to be pure. This week, let's place all our relationships before God.
or work colleagues. Let's run away from any relationships that are not so pure. Let's, let's readjust the closeness with perhaps some work colleagues. Let's readjust some things that might have gone askew. Don't, don't condemn anybody. Be pleasant, but just say, I'm going to back off from being too personal. That's important. You still with me, church? Can I hear a nod? Because you know the truth is, because we're all in this category, there is forgiveness for anyone who's fallen. Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, that great prayer of Daniel says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, even though we have rebelled against Him. He's forgiving God. And in a few moments' time, actually, we're going to do something as a family. We've put extra communion out and it's the first Sunday of the month and we're all just going to take communion together and enjoy everything that Jesus has done for us in the cross. But in that communion, what I want you to do is simply say, God, purify my heart. Make me, just, just wash me again. You see, this is the bottom line. This is why what I'm saying to you today is important. Purity protects your present and fuels your future. Purity is going to protect you, but it's going to fuel your future. Purity is protecting you now so that you can connect with God. Purity is protecting us now, but it's also producing an investment in your future so that you get an inheritance in God and a role in God and a purpose in God. You see, in thinking about virtues and purity, it's, it's, not a, it's a matter of looking forward to how the big plans of God and what God may have for you will come about. We have to invest in them and not trade them. Let's trade our sorrows. Don't let's trade our inheritance in God. Our purity is helping us to inherit what we're supposed to be. Our purity is helping us to operate from the inside out. Our purity is that which is expressing our heart connectedness to God. And ask the worship team to come if they will. But I want you to hear this. Purity is maturity. Why don't you just say that to yourself? Purity is maturity, not fear. See, some of the world's going to say to you, Oh, don't listen to that. You need to let it all hang out. Don't be pure. Man, those people are childish. I need to do what I want. Purity is maturity, not fear. Those guys are telling you that, that you'll be in trouble. Of course it won't. You'll be all right. You don't need anybody to tell you what to do. I hear all those voices. But purity is maturity, not fear. Purity is correct expression, not repression. It's getting you to express your passion in the right line. Purity is correct expression, not repression. Purity is surety. It sets your life on track and keeps your relationships in line and sets your foundation that you're supposed to be in. Would you stand with me? Please. Come on, let's, we need to celebrate our heart connection with the Lord by being pure and honourable. 
And we need to celebrate our familyness as a church by having pure and good relationships amongst us. Let's have the joy of being pure. You know, I've some said some pretty things, some heavy things today, but it's joyful being pure. You know when you've had a good wash and you've had a good shower and you put on your, your gel and your, and your shower gel and all of that stuff and you spray yourself? At least I hope that you do this stuff. Feels good, doesn't it? Well, that's what it's like for your heart when you've been washed in the blood and when you've been strengthened by His grace and when you're living in the boundaries that He's put. It's joyful. It's fresh. It's not repressive. It's wonderful. I'm so glad my heart is free. And so I want to say to you, let's have the joy of being pure because it's propelling you to your future. It's not because we're scared of messing up. I'm not scared of messing up. Purity is positive living that brings protection and progress. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Revelation of God will come to those people who keep their heart pure. But you know what? Every single one of us, if we dug around in our lives, would say to ourselves, oh, I'm not too happy with that bit. I'm not too happy with that thought. And that's the trouble with these type of sermons. Because you feel like, well, I don't want to admit anything, although I've got something. So why don't we just be family and all come to our communion table? Can I ask you guys just to unveil the communion, if that's okay? And our hosts will help you. And we'll spread across the whole front and bit one by one. Let's come and take communion. Now listen, we don't usually say this, but this is what the scripture says when we take communion together. It says, let a man or a person And let them just see if there's anything that's holding them back from relationship with God. Did you remember that bit? So... I'm going to ask you as, as Kevin and the worship team just, just lead us in a simple song. And they've got a great song for you to worship with. So remember to sing as well as come. I want you to leave the seat where you're standing. And one by one, it'll be a bit of a crowd and you'll have to queue up a bit. But worship while you're queuing. But come and take communion. And as you take communion, just say, thank you, Lord, for washing me. Now, there may be some of you. You want to take something to Jesus and leave it there. You may take some history or something that's happened or something that you've done and leave it there. As you take communion, you say, I'm giving this to you, Lord, and I'm leaving it with you. Is that okay, church? Come on, who's going to be the first to come and take communion? Just come and just come as Kevin begins to lead us in song. Look at these. 